Welcome to It's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we're going to be talking about the day that J.J. Vallow went missing on September 22nd, 2019, just two weeks after Tylee Ryan went missing and was killed. I'll be talking about J.J.'s timeline, a little bit more about Alex Cox, and Chad Daybell's arrest affidavit, and more. I just did a video on Tylee Ryan and her timeline, and you can see that in the pinned comments below or also in the description below this video. But before I get into it, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button and hit that notification bell. Be sure to click it to all. Please like this video if you support it and please share this out where you can. Now, let's get into it. JJ was last seen at Lori Vallow's apartment on Sunday, September 22nd, 2019. JJ was seven years old at the time. He was autistic and he was also believed to be off his prescribed medication. So I'm gonna outline the days before JJ went missing in this video as I feel it's important. In Chad Daybell's arrest affidavit, it says the last verifiable sighting of JJ Vallow was September 22nd, 2019 in his mother's apartment located at 565 Pioneer Road, number 175, Rexburg, Idaho by Lori's friend, Melanie Gibb. While the Rexburg Police and FBI have received many tips of alleged sightings since the beginning of the case, none of these tips have led to any verifiable or actionable information regarding the health, safety, or location of the minor children. And at this point, JJ had been living in Rexburg for three weeks, and Tylee Ryan had been missing for two weeks at this point. In the affidavit, it says, Lori Vallow moved to Rexburg on or about September 1st, 2019 with her children, Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow and her brother, Alex Cox. Lori resided with her children at 565 Pioneer Road, unit number 175, Rexburg, Idaho. Alex Cox resided in the same complex, initially living in the same unit as Lori and then moving into his own unit at 565 Pioneer Road, unit number 107, Rexburg, Idaho. So I'd like to rewind a few days for JJ. I feel it's important and we do have that information, unlike Tylee. On Tuesday, September 17th at 3.15 p.m., JJ is seen on a doorbell camera footage right across from where Lori lives. He yells, get the hell out of here, and his friend is saying, don't say that word, that's a bad word. They run across the green space into Lori's apartment. And once inside her townhome, a woman says, don't say that word. I mean it. Don't say that word. And there was an interview with Larry and Kay Woodcock, JJ's grandparents. And Larry said, I have never seen him out of control that way ever. And there was no doubt she was withholding his medication for him to act that way. Now, when the authorities went for the welfare check in November and had that search warrant, they searched Lori's home and they did find a bottle of JJ's medication with 17 pills in it. It was dated January 2019, eight months prior, and it hadn't been refilled in Idaho and it hadn't been filled since January in Arizona. And JJ was taking Risperidone and in the court documents, it states, Risperidone is a tranquilizer prescribed to treat irritability caused by autism. And Kay in this interview said she had a bottle of his medicine. Yeah, she has a bottle of his Risperidone. It was what they found there. And she says, it scares me that she wasn't tending to him. All this change for this little boy with autism, consistency is key for him. 
What's interesting is in Charles Vallow's body cam footage way back in January, we hear him talk about how Lori doesn't take any medication or doesn't like to take medication. So I do wonder, since JJ was now in her care, if she took him off of it because she doesn't like medication and doesn't want him on it. Or is it the fact that she doesn't want him on it so she can see the real JJ Vallow? And Kay is absolutely right. Consistency is key. And consistency wasn't even in the realm for JJ. In the space of two months, Charles died. JJ's support dog was taken away from him. He moved out of state. He changed schools from a specialized school that caters to his needs to a regular school. He was also cut off from communicating with his grandparents, Larry and Kay, and his sister at this point had been missing for two weeks. That's tough for even an adult to deal with, let alone JJ. Now, neighbors at the complex confronted Lori about his behavior and the lack of adult supervision when he played outside with the other kids. And they said that Lori didn't tell them that JJ was autistic. They said Lori referred to JJ as her niece's drug baby. Kay says, that is just chilling to me. That is her adoptive son, and for her not to even acknowledge him in that way, I can't wrap my mind around it, and it just scares the hell out of me. And Kay and Larry Woodcock said in a news article that JJ was addicted to drugs when he was born. Kay's son is the biological father, and the bio mother was using drugs during her pregnancy. And before JJ's first birthday, Charles and Lori had adopted him. Now, the next day on Wednesday, September 18th, Lori contacts a nanny through care.com. This was 10 days after Tylee was missing. The nanny goes over that day and meets Lori and JJ. The nanny said she explained to me how they recently moved here from Arizona. Her husband had just died of a heart attack and how JJ doesn't quite understand the situation. Lori said how she and her husband had adopted JJ and that he was her nephew. Her daughter also lives in Rexburg and is going to college. She said her daughter doesn't like to babysit JJ without being paid, so she wanted me to work for her. Nice excuse, Lori. That doesn't even make sense. You don't want to pay Tylee to watch JJ, but you're willing to pay a stranger to watch JJ. Doesn't even make sense. Oh, right, because you killed her. She says occasionally her daughter would come visit for dinner or to do laundry, but she never said that she lived there with them. It appeared that only Lori and JJ lived there from the look of things and from what she told me. The nanny described Lori as well put together and happy, and she was very welcoming and gave me a hug. As for Lori's demeanor, she said, my overall impression of her was that she was kind but seemed stressed out being a newly widowed mom alone with her autistic son. Now, that same day, Kay Woodcock emailed Lori, and at that point, Kay and Larry hadn't talked to JJ since August 10th, so about five weeks. They usually FaceTime each other or talk on the phone, but this was abruptly ended in a FaceTime call on August 10th. 
So on September 18th, Kay says, please allow JJ to call us or FaceTime us. We need to see that he's okay. She goes on to say, when can we get him for a weekend? She says, we will fly there to visit him any weekend. And she says, I'm begging you to have some humanity and let us visit him, please. And then she ends it by saying, Lori, what are you thinking? Are you even thinking? And just a side note, because we got to remember this. Charles died on July 11th. A few days later, not even a couple days, Lori calls in to try and find out if she can collect on Charles's life insurance, but finds out that Kay has it. Lori goes into a hissy fit, texts Kay, super mad at her, and now she makes her pay. Pretty much is the gist of it. So now on the next day, Thursday, September 19th, the nanny goes back to Lori's house and babysits JJ. And according to the babysitter, Lori explained some of JJ's tendencies. She said, she explained to me as we watched JJ play outside with the neighbor's kids, some of his tendencies. He gets emotional easily, frustrated, distracted, has difficulty communicating with others, but can follow orders if you look at him right in the eyes. She explained to me how they recently moved here from Arizona. Her husband had just died of a heart attack and how JJ doesn't quite understand the situation. Lori said how she and her husband adopted JJ and that he was her nephew. Lori mentioned how if she got home later to give JJ his medicine right before bed because it makes him tired fast. She joked about how she liked that because some days when he was extra tough for her to handle, she would give him his meds and have him go to bed early to give her a break. Now this is a little bit confusing. I'm wondering if Lori was late coming home and the babysitter actually administered some sort of medication for JJ. The weird thing is, is the authorities found that pill bottle that said January, there was 17 pills, and Lori's talking about how if she's late, the nanny can give him medication. Was it the risperidone? Did she give him something? Or did Lori come early enough home? All these questions still unanswered. She goes on. Then her brother came over and was quiet, just said hello and they left. JJ was upset about her leaving and went into the garage. I followed him to make sure he didn't block the garage from closing. And I looked her place up on Zillow and she has a two car garage. Now the nanny also says, after Lori left, JJ went to play with the neighbor's kids. The nanny fed him dinner. JJ tried to leave during dinner and Lori said she had to put on two locks because sometimes JJ escapes. Eventually, JJ went back to the friend's townhouse to play. When his playtime was over, the nanny got JJ from the neighbor's home and she says, we left and this upset JJ greatly. He started crying and screaming. I tried to calm him down, distract him with the show, tell him how sometimes people need a break and how he needs to share. He threw the chair from their wooden table down, flipped the ottoman over by their couch, and then ran upstairs. I let him cry for a bit, hoping he would calm down, but he didn't. I felt I should check on him to make sure he wouldn't hurt himself or break anything. I quickly found him under the bed in his mom's room. He also had a room upstairs, but from what I remember, it just had toys in it and no bed. Lori's room appeared normal. She had a large bed, bathroom, and it looked clean. Although something kind of strange was that there was a small mattress in the corner where JJ slept. It was pretty thin, the size of a twin mattress with sheets and a pillow. There was a mirror hanging above the mattress in the corner as JJ ran up from under the bed. He went toward the mirror and knocked it off the wall, hoping it didn't break glass all over the mattress. I picked it up. Side note, 
the babysitter is saying weird that JJ has his mattress in Lori's room. No sign of Tylee. Yet Melanie Pulowski is saying how their rooms were perfectly set up. I'd love for her to recall what perfect actually meant. So back to the mirror falling. While doing so, he ran back downstairs. As I went back downstairs, JJ was still upset and said his mom wouldn't want me to come over again, that he hated me and didn't want to be my friend. Shortly after this freakout, his mom, her brother, and the friend walked in from the garage. The mom calmed JJ and asked me what happened. I explained the situation and she babied him. She said it was overwhelming the amount of love Lori showed JJ after his breakdown. The nanny met Lori's friend that she picked up from the airport, a woman who did podcasts with Lori, which we later know is Melanie Gibb. I didn't see a suitcase, so I didn't think she was staying that long. Lori ends up thanking the nanny, pays her $40 cash for babysitting, and the nanny says, from what we had talked about yesterday, that was what she seemed to be needing was nearly daily assistance from me. This was the last day I saw JJ and Lori. Now the nanny was paid, she left, and assumed that she would watch JJ again on a continuing basis. But it turns out that this was the last day that she ever saw Lori Vallow and JJ again. And it seems like there was a red flag from the babysitter talking about the overwhelming amount of love that Lori showed. So Lori has to keep up her facade. Don't want anybody to know that she's not perfect, right? Gotta oversell the story. And that was a pretty busy day because that same day, Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend David Warwick came to visit Lori over the weekend. Interestingly, I read that Chad Daybell flew out from Idaho Falls to Mesa, Arizona that same day. A woman reported that she was on the plane with Chad. They were talking about religion, talking about his books, and he was saying that he's not going to do doomsday books anymore. He's going to go in a different direction. He also talked about going to see a family member and helping her renovate and hopefully he can get it done in time. I find this really odd and I'm starting to wonder is this Zulema he's talking about? Who the heck is he talking about? Because Melanie Gibb in her interview with Nate Eaton said that she toured BYU-Idaho that weekend with Lori and Chad. So I'd like to know when he came home, how long he was gone for. Stay tuned for more if I can find that information. So according to the affidavit, it says, Lori Vallow's close friend, Melanie Gibb, has cooperated with Idaho and Arizona law enforcement regarding the investigation of the children. Melanie Gibb has reported that from September 19, 2019 through the morning of September 23, 2019, she visited Lori Vallow at her new residence in Rexburg, Idaho. Gibb reports that when she arrived in Rexburg, Lori Vallow informed her that JJ Vallow had become a zombie. Gibb further reports that the term zombie refers to an individual whose mortal spirit has left their body and that their body is now the host of another spirit. The new spirit in a zombie is always considered a dark spirit. While the dark spirit inhabits the host body, the person's true spirit goes into limbo and is stuck there until the host body is physically killed. As such, death of the physical body is seen as the mechanism by which the body's original spirit can be released from limbo. This belief was told to Gibb by Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow had learned it from Chad Daybell and immediately told Gibb. Gibb was present with Lori Vallow when Chad Daybell first taught Lori this information over the phone in early 2019 in reference to Charles Vallow. 
Melanie Gibb has further informed me that she was told by Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow that they held the religious beliefs that they were part of the Church of the Firstborn and their mission in that church was to lead the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation. They also state their mission was to rid the world of zombies. So we know at this point that they got rid of Charles, who they believed was a zombie, and Tylee, who was also rated dark and a zombie. And that weekend, from the 20th to the 22nd, Melanie Gibb said in an interview that at some point she walked the track at BYU and took a tour with Lori and Chad. So I do wonder what day Chad returned from on his trip, like I mentioned. Nate Eaton asked, was JJ with you? And she said, no, Alex was watching him. So back to the affidavit, it says, on June 3rd, 2020, I interviewed Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend, David Warwick, in Pleasant Grove, Utah. We discussed in depth the weekend of September 22nd and 23rd, 2019, due to the fact that both Gibb and Warwick stayed at Lori Vallow's residence in Rexburg that weekend. Gibb informed me, consistent with information she has previously given to law enforcement, that she arrived in Rexburg on September 19th, 2019. Soon after she arrived, Lori Vallow informed Gibb that JJ had become a zombie and pointed out behaviors such as sitting still and watching TV, claiming JJ said he loved Satan and an increased vocabulary as evidence that JJ was now a zombie. Gibb observed JJ's behavior and felt it to be the same as she always had observed it. I'm sorry, but if a child is quietly sitting and watching TV, that's not a zombie, Lori. That's a darn miracle. The rest is garbage coming from your mouth, in my opinion. And also in the interview with Nate Eaton, Melanie Gibb talked about how Lori continued to point out things about JJ's behavior and what he was saying all weekend. And it seems to me, in my opinion, she wanted Melanie to agree with her. See, that's zombie behavior. Look at him. See, I told you, look what he's doing. Don't you think he's a zombie? See? Oh, to be a fly on that wall that weekend. Now, let's take a visit at Chad's handy-dandy zombie chart. Because there is a huge problem in Chad's eyes. And why I think that. According to the chart, which was made back in October 2018, Chad rated JJ as 4.2 light. He already rated Tylee as dark, but JJ is rated light. And in his chart, he also states anyone who is 4.1 and higher rarely switches sides, meaning rarely goes from light to dark. And JJ is rated 4.2 light. Oops. So in my opinion, there needs to be some convincing going on. Chad's probably thinking, shoot, I didn't do that right to fit my own agenda. Gonna have to fix that. Charles turned into a zombie after this chart because he was originally rated light and he was under that 4.1. So naturally it's normal for him to turn. And Chad did tell Lori that Charles had become Ned Snyder or as Charles said, Nick Schneider. But for JJ, well, how is Chad going to pull this one off? He's going to have to create a different teaching, right? No, 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 Lori. No, I actually meant this. Things have changed. They've totally changed now. So Chad screws up and has to claim a pretty big case now to backpedal his original chart, right? And a lot has happened 
since October 2018, since Lori and Chad officially met in person. Chad's been cheating on Tammy this whole time with Lori. He proclaimed Charles is a zombie and Charles was killed. Lori moved to Rexburg for him. Ty Lee was killed. And Chad was also on the property with Alex that day for Ty Lee. <sighs> Big year. Now he had to take care of another problem in his eyes, right? Mission isn't complete yet. So as soon as Melanie Gibb arrives, boom, Lori's telling her right away and explaining that JJ is now a zombie. And according to Melanie's interview, it was the day before she arrived, conveniently, that he turned into a zombie. The same day that she hires a nanny and 10 days after Tylee went missing and killed. So on Sunday, September 22nd, the affidavit says, the last time Gibb and Warwick verifiably saw JJ was the night of September 22nd, 2019. Warwick informed us that it was late and Gibb, Vallow, and Warwick were going to do a podcast. Warwick said that JJ was acting up and so Alex Cox took JJ to his apartment in the complex. When Alex returned later that night, he was carrying JJ, who appeared to be asleep with his head on Alex's shoulder. Warwick specifically remembered this because he saw it as a tender moment. Now, Alex lives in the same complex as Lori and it's a two minute walk to his apartment. So Alex takes JJ over to his place while those guys do the podcast. And then Alex comes back with JJ who appeared to be asleep with his head on Alex's shoulder. The question I have is, this was according to David Warwick. There has been so much information on Alex's phone, right? I'm curious where his phone pings were at this time and what the times were that Alex took JJ back to his apartment and what time he came back to Lori's because there's no mention of this in the affidavit. On Monday, September 23rd, the affidavit says, Warwick further informed us that when he woke up the morning of September 23rd, 2019, he asked Lori where JJ was. This was between 8 and 9 a.m. Lori informed Warwick and Gibb that JJ had been acting like a zombie and had been crawling on the kitchen cabinetry and had gotten on top of the cabinetry in the space between the cabinetry and the ceiling. She informed Warwick and Gibb that when JJ had climbed upon the cabinetry that he had knocked a picture of Jesus off the refrigerator. And here's a picture of Lori's apartment and the kitchen. You can see on top of the cabinets there's quite a bit of space to the ceiling and oddly she has a picture of Jesus on top of her fridge. Now after explaining that JJ was above on the cupboards, Lori then explains that Alex had to come and take JJ. Again, what time was that at? Because David Warwick saying between 8 and 9 he was asking about JJ. And was Alex's phone pinging then? Did he not have his phone with him? Was there actual information on Lori's phone but not included in this affidavit? So many questions. So all we know at this point is Alex left while they were doing the podcast. Alex brought JJ back that night, according to David Warwick. And then by morning, he was gone. And that morning was a Monday, like I mentioned in Tylee's video that I did. I'll put that right here. Monday's the day that JJ went missing, same as Tylee, same as Gannon Stoke, same as Faye Swetlick, the Delphi girls, Abby and Libby, and Shanann, Cece, and Bella. Always seems to be a Monday. And since it was Monday, 
JJ should have been at school that morning. In the affidavit, it says, through this investigation, we have discovered that JJ Vallow was registered at Kennedy Elementary School in Rexburg the first week of September, 2019. Kennedy School was informed that JJ had an individual education plan, an IEP, due to his autism. Kennedy Elementary was in the process of creating a new IEP for JJ. Sometimes that takes forever. On September 23rd, 2019, JJ had an unexcused absence. Here's the weird thing. In this affidavit, it talks about JJ not being in school and having an unexcused absence on that Monday. I had wondered in previous videos before he was found, why have JJ at school on Monday only to take him out on a Tuesday? Because in early court documents it stated, before the kids were found, it said through the investigation, RPD has learned that the last day JJ was seen alive was on September 23rd, 2019 at Kennedy Elementary School. On September 24th, 2019, Lori Vallow informed the school that JV would no longer be attending Kennedy Elementary and that Lori would homeschool him. Kennedy Elementary has informed RPD that no other school has made requests for JV's school transcripts. So this is why I've been thinking this whole time that he was at school on Monday, but this updated affidavit says no, he had an unexcused absence. Okay, so that morning on the 23rd, Alex is now back on Chad Daybell's property at 9.55 a.m. He'd have to leave Lori's place at around 9.40 to 9.45 a.m. According to my map, it's around an 11-minute drive, give or take. So my question at this point is, did anybody see him leave that morning? Were any doorbell cameras picking up on him? Was he carrying anything? Was JJ alive at this point or what? The affidavit says, the FBI cast team has analyzed Alex Cox's movements the morning of September 23rd, 2019 by his cell phone GPS. At 9.55, Alex is again on Chad Daybell's property. He was there until 10, 12 a.m. The pings on his phone locate Alex near the pond on Chad's property at the northern edge of his property. Here's a picture of Chad Daybell's property. You can see on the left is his house. In the middle there is the barn and to the right is the fire pit and also just north of the barn is the pond. So Alex was there from 9.55 a.m. until 10.12 a.m. for a total of 17 minutes. Again, this is Monday, so Tammy was likely at school working again. So my question here is, was Chad already prepared and waiting for JJ to come? It was a pretty quick trip for 17 whole minutes. Tylee was two and a half hours. Although I do realize it was a different condition that the body was found. We'll get to that in a minute. And the other question I have is, did Chad already have the ground prepared? And when did Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend go back home that morning? Was Lori hanging out with them while Alex went to Chad's? Was Lori with them after that? So Alex went at 9.55 a.m. this Monday, but the Monday that Tylee was taken there on September 9th, he went at 9.21 a.m. Now on June 3rd, the FBI asked about Alex's visits to the property and they said, per your request, I checked the visits by Alex to Chad's house again. There were only four visits by Alex during the month of September. These were on September 6th, September 9th, September 23rd, and September 25th from 10.05 to 10.22 a.m. During the two visits on September 6th and September 25th, all the pings were in and around the house. 
and there were no pings anywhere in the backyard near the fire pit or pond. As you can see, these visits were also short, about 11 minutes and 17 minutes, like the one on September 23rd for 17 minutes. The visit on September 9th was the only long visit, approximately two and a half hours. So Alex was there on September 23rd and then two days later on September 25th, he was around the house. He went back there for the same length of time, interestingly, for 17 minutes. And JJ was located at the pond on Chad's property. The affidavit says, the first site of interest was located on the north side of the pond near the north edge of the property. This site corresponded with the two GPS pings from Alex Cox's phone on September 23, 2019. A patch of ground was located that appeared to be disturbed. The weed growth on top of the disturbed ground was shorter than the surrounding weed growth. What appeared to be sod etching also was noticed. The disturbed area was approximately four feet by two and a half feet. Members of the FBI ERT team removed the top layer of sod. Underneath the layer of sod were several large flat rocks. The rocks were removed and two pieces of flat paneling were found. The paneling was removed and investigators exposed a round object covered in black plastic. Upon exposing the round object covered in black plastic, a strong odor was noticed. A FBI ERT member used a small sharp instrument and made a small incision in the plastic and a layer of white plastic was observed. An incision was made into the white layer of plastic exposing what appeared to be human remains, the crown of a head covered in light brown hair. The remaining dirt around this object was methodically removed, exposing what appeared to be a body wrapped in the black plastic. The plastic appeared to be tightly wrapped around the body and secured with gray duct tape. Cheryl Anderson, Associate Professor of Anthropology at Boise State University, was present on scene and advised the remains found near the pond appeared to be human. While officers were conducting their search, Chad Daybell was observed by officers to be continuously watching where officers were searching. He was observed watching officers while sitting in his vehicle in his front driveway and while sitting in his vehicle across the street at his daughter's residence. Around the time the head mentioned in paragraphs 32 and 33 was discovered, Chad Daybell was observed leaving his daughter's residence in a gray SUV. I and other officers pursued him in police vehicles, conducted a traffic stop, and detained him due to the fact that human remains were discovered on his property. So Chad sat and watched them comb his property and waited until the point that they found JJ's head. And then he fled the property. Did he message Tammy that day with the same raccoon story? Or was there any need to let her know because there's no fire? Did Alex just arrive with JJ and Chad took care of the rest? Or was JJ alive and Chad and Alex took care of the rest once they got there? Meanwhile, Lori's out hanging out with Melanie Gibb and David Warwick having a grand old time, unless she was there too. As for September 23rd, I did mention in a previous video that this was an important date for Chad. There's a few different reasons why. One of them being Tammy Daybell's grandmother who's deceased, talks to Chad every September 23rd, it's her birthday, and tells Chad what to do and gives him instructions from the other side of the veil. So that's important. There is also some references to the Mormon religion as well. I might do a deep dive in my future videos. 
So the next day on September 24th, Lori informs JJ's school that he's going to Louisiana to be with his grandparents, Larry and Kay, and wouldn't be home until the end of October, maybe later. In the affidavit, it says, on September 24th, 2020, Lori Vallow called... Ooh, they made a mistake. They made a mistake in the affidavit. It says on September 24th, 2020, but it should say on September 24th, 2019, Lori Vallow called Vicki Barton of the Madison School District and informed her that JJ was going to Louisiana with his grandparents and wouldn't be home until the end of October and maybe later. On October 29th, Madison School was informed that JJ would be homeschooled during searches of Lori's apartment in Rexburg and subsequent searches of her apartment in Kauai. No evidence of homeschooling material was ever found. No other school district has ever requested JJ's records from the Madison School District. Also, that same day, Lori tells the babysitter that JJ has gone to stay with Larry and Kay, and she said she was in Hawaii and that the babysitter's services were no longer needed. The babysitter thought it was going to be an ongoing thing, so left her confused. Also on this day, September 24th, it would have been Tylee's 17th birthday. So, Happy birthday to her. And on September 25th, Alex goes back to Chad's property as outlined in the affidavit and was there for 17 minutes. So at this point, Tammy Daybell now has two dead bodies in her yard, apart from the pet cemetery. She only has two weeks until she has an attempt made on her life and three and a half weeks until she dies. Chad gives her a burial and a funeral, but tosses Lori's children like dead animals in his fire pit and pond on his property in a pet cemetery. Not guilty, right, Chad? But just wait, because Tammy's autopsy results are coming, and I hope they're definitive. You might feel like fleeing. You do have a history of fleeing. Not according to your lawyer, but to everybody else in the world. You have a history of fleeing. Oh, but wait, you're sitting in jail. And the only way out is your portal body. Where are you gonna go? JJ was only seven years old. He was struggling because you, Lori, never made it easy for him. Charles helped him in any way that he could. A support dog, a specialized school, adopting him. Charles was loving to the whole family and everybody knew it. He would do anything for his family and anything to make you, Lori, happy. But you take his dog away, you take his sister away, his school, his dad, you move him away and then you have him killed. You are the epitome of a monster. So is Alex, so is Chad, so is whoever else is involved in this situation. But that is yet to be determined. Let's have a chit chat below and we can talk about this. You can check out the video that I made on Tylee as well. Like I said, I will put it in the pinned comments and in the description. I'll also have it at the end of this video. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please like and please share. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon.